San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you live from KFMB with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle, down to Cabo, out to the desert. And you can get us with an app uh, for 760 KFMB. And also, uh, we're free on iTunes if you search uh, It's Your Money and Your Life. And, of course, all the podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com and all those other places. And time to introduce the main man of the hour now. He's a CPA extraordinaire. He's an accomplished author. He's an accomplished marathon runner. He's a family office ex- expert advising several high net worth families and his name is richard musio richard good evening how are you tonight a marvelous joe so we have somebody who's real special to us who's back in action tonight and who might that be eric oh that's right we did we should welcome him back welcome back eric ruakava our sound engineer who always makes us sound terrific he was out with a little medical issue but back in the saddle again and uh, he's gonna... welcome back eric yes say hello eric to everybody can you get the hit a button hit, hit a any, button eric any, anyway anyone try <laughs> hurry up here we go all uh, right there we go thank oh, you our pleasure you're, you're eric, welcome so, uh, you're good. a little bit slow on the draw still but. <laughs> yeah just a little bit it's the medication <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's the first time we've had eric on the air for god's sake so no he's been on before but, but anyway we'll, uh, we'll check in welcome back it's good yes. to see your sir, smiling face absolutely now richard thank you, you have a couple of things you wanted to promote oh yeah well, so we've got the la costa film festival coming up starting mm-hmm. on thursday the 18th runs uh-huh. through the 21st up at the omni la costa resort uh-huh. open to everybody right yeah 18th to 21st la costa film festival.org and our good buddy James Erskine, the uh-huh. movie producer uh-huh. from New Black Films in London, is going to be showing on Friday afternoon at one in the afternoon at the Dove Street Library Theater. His film about Marco Pantani, Il Pirata, the famous Italian bike racer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, that piece is called Accidental Death of a Cyclist. So mm-hmm. we're going to be up there watching that mm-hmm. and uh, supporting the La Costa Film Festival. Uh, second annual, so it's their second one up there in Acosta in Carlsbad. So that's really cool. And then... They'll have three different venues, the right? Three different venues, yeah. They're going to be showing some flicks at the um, resort itself. And mm-hmm. then they're also using the Sinopolis just north of there in the uh-huh. shopping center. And then right on the north side of that shopping center, Dove Street Library in Carlsbad, has a uh, film room that holds over 200 people. So they're using that Correct. location Correct. too. And then September 27th, I can actually attend this. And so can you, Joe, if you uh-huh. want to move your feet because uh-huh. we're taping our guests that evening. The uh, Solana Beach Sunset Run, sb5k.org. It's a 5K that's on the beach, on the sand in Solana Beach at Fletcher Cove starting at 5 o'clock on Saturday, September 27th. And we're going to have a big party with live music and a bunch of things to eat. Kind and of like a sunset run, right? It's called the Sunset Run. So oh, that's going to be at Fletcher Cove in Solana Beach at 5 o'clock on September 27th, <laughs> really cool event. And my, my turkey trot, my Oceanside Move Your Feet Before Ute Foundation has sort of taken them under our wing. There's a turkey oh. reference for you. Aha, uh-huh. wonderful. And, uh, certainly come on out because we don't have to do radio that night because we will have taped that show. Well, who are we taping that weekend? Gene Roddenberry. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the, he's the up son, in Los Angeles, the son the, of, the, the founder of the Star son, Trek. Yes, uh, we had him down here in July at Qualcomm. That was a cool event. Wasn't it, though? We yeah. screened the, his documentary about his father, Gene, and mm-hmm. um, and then we did a I'm key. sorry, Rod Roddenberry, the that's father's a, Gene. Yeah, well, Rod he, Well, he's Gene Jr. He's right, a, but he goes by Rod Roddenberry. Correct, yeah. correct. And um, 
anyway, he'll be. We're taping him on Thursday. I think he's got some events uh, in town too with the zoo and whatnot. So we'll mm-hmm. find out more about that when he gets in here. And yeah. we. Uh, but that, we, that frees you up, Joe, to go get some exercise on that Saturday. Well, evening. I had some exercise last night. I went over to the comedy store. There was uh, a headliner there, Theo Von V O N. He's shortened his name, but uh, he's that from. That keeps it simple. He's from Louisiana, and uh, I had seen him at Lestats years ago, and now he's a headliner, a bona fide headliner, and he. Um, He's also the host of this show on uh, TBS. I think they just got picked up for the second season called Deal With It. With I guess it's a Howie Mandel production or whatever. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he was hilarious. And the guy who opened for him, Jeremiah Watkins, was was hilarious. And uh, I had forgotten, uh, you know, how much fun that place. The place was packed Friday night, 7 to 9.30. The, the late show was, was actually packed. And uh, I'm sure tonight they're going to do well as well, as well if that makes grammatic sense. Anyway. Uh, this, it doesn't, but it I got does. it. <laughs> And we're going to get to our guest, and I swear, in a couple, in a minute. But I just wanted to uh, thank Michelle Ciccarelli Lirac and uh, for inviting me to her TED talk this morning down at the un- your favorite stomping grounds, the uh, the University Club, thirty fourth floor of Symphony Tower. Absolutely. So she, uh, Michelle Ciccarelli Lirac, and uh, Lynn Shank, former Congresswoman, and uh, Jerry Lynn Milana, who's the outgoing president of the San Diego County Bar, San Diego County Bar. They all spoke on the challenge of creating change, mostly from a woman's perspective and a lot of the uh, things they had to deal with. And it was very enlightening, very enlightening. And they actually played a couple other uh, major TED Talk uh, uh, presentations of, you know, that were recorded elsewhere. And it was just a, a great, from 10 to noon, it was, it was really great. So um, congratulations on, on all the great uh, talks uh, today. But how about we get to our guest, Richard? Why not? Who also loves our show. She's and one is, of our sponsors. Absolutely. So full disclosure, but uh, probably one of the most esteemed and reputable estate planning attorneys and business planning attorneys uh, in San Diego County. And I'm not going to go through the whole litany of her books. We'll get into all that later. But uh, very accomplished, you know, author, lecturer, and, and everything, and practitioner. And her name is Brenda Geiger. Brenda, good evening. How are you tonight? Thank you. I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> Superior. So, Richard, uh, take it away. Where are we going with this tonight? I well, know Brenda we has are. a real cool book out, but she also has a cool event coming up. And so we have a lot of things to talk about. Mm-hmm. But um, I really wanted to start with um, just asking Brenda why she writes so many books, because I've only ever written one. Well, should we? I, I can't get past that. Well, by way of rep, you know, repetition for our guests, maybe we should uh, just a thumbnail sketch of your your bio, your your educational. Well, tell and, us why and, you bio, write so bio. many books first, well, and then we'll do the bio. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. Why Why do you write so many books? <laughs> you know, I I was thinking about that the other day, and <laughs> while I was writing, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I wrote my first book in the second grade. Really? Okay. What was I it did. about? It was about horses. Nice. Yeah, and I just I've been writing you know, all my life mm. and, you know, articles and books and, uh, school newspapers in mm. college and high school. Um, when I was in law school, weren't you on the, the international law journal or something? Or, yeah. Or yeah. Kind of, I actually, at um, USD, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was on the international law journal and it was right around nine 11. Mm. I proposed a topic about, um, you know, invading another sovereignty and, mm. and killing, assassinating, you know, government leaders mm-hmm. or Which terrorists. we're not supposed to do. Yeah. As, well, that, that that was basically what the conclusion <laughs> of the article was. I mean, was, as but, a President Ford, you know, we weren't supposed to, to, do, to do that. People forget, I mean, what a worldwide demonstration there was against us going into Iraq at the time, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Afghanistan, fine. Get Bin Laden, fine. But, uh, you know, taking it in a whole new direction, there was a lot of controversy, you, as which probably prompted your article or... Yeah, it was it was a great, you know, timing. Um, 
you know, to propose that to the journal. So I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was a, a long process, but it was something I'm, I'm glad that I did. Mm-hmm. So what was your first book about besides horse? I mean, what did the horses do? Um, you know, I think <laughs> you it remember? was. You know, you don't, okay. It wasn't, it was more spot a, here. about um, anatomy. I wish I could find the book okay. because I, I was thinking about it the other day. But, you know, just like, you know, what parts are there of a horse and what do horses do? What do they eat? You know, just things well, like that. Did you know there's but... more horses? You know what's in the world than there are horses? <laughs> yeah. yeah how, how, are, you, but anyway. how do you like them road apples? <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Uh, so you went to University of San Diego Law School, my alma mater. Yes. When did you know you wanted to go to law school to be, be a lawyer? You know, I, I think when I was a sophomore in college, I took a business law course and, and um, you know, got the top grade and thought, hmm, this is interesting. So you were a psychology major. You know, you know Jerry Lynn today, for, uh, president of the county bar, I think she's the first either woman or first um, Asian woman to be president of the bar had the same experience. She took a business law course and it completely uh, opened her eyes to, uh, you know, going into law. She had, wasn't even contemplating it. Yeah, yeah. It, um, I think we read uh, a case called DuPont or something about aerial surveillance over a plant and, and trade secret mm. espionage, you know, mm. you know, business espionage. And I, I thought, wow, this is really fascinating. So I kind of, I really got into it and, and uh, ended up at USD. I went there for undergrad as well. Um, got my paralegal degree, you know, just so I would have a marketable skill. Sure. And, and I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to dive in and go to law school. It's very expensive, mm-hmm. time-consuming, and you really have. If you're going to be a lawyer, you really have to love it. And it's difficult. I mean, USD is one of the top law schools. I mean, it's not an easy. It's school. a great school. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, everything about the school is great. Well, except the basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> you would have to bring that up for sure. I would, but anyway. <laughs> and and when, when did you know that you would be interested in estate planning? You know, it wasn't until after I graduated. I was going to be a business lawyer, um, had done the entrepreneurship clinic while I was at USD sure. and, and loved that and was working for Intercool Therapies, a local biotech that got purchased by another company. But uh, then I went through the third round of layoffs. So mm-hmm. I had just uh, passed the bar and, and got licensed. And then a couple months later, I was out of a job. So huh. um, looked around and the lawyers club kind of helped me discover that, hey, estate planning might be a viable option to start my own practice. So mm-hmm. I went and worked for another couple of lawyers for a year and a half and got some real life experience doing that and but you also my own do, practice. But you do business plan, planning now as well, right? As yeah. Part of practice yeah. I, I have a lot of business owners, so it's it's really a high crossover area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. Well, estate planning is fun because so much, so much of the laws have changed over the last 10 to 12 years. Yeah. I mean, back when I was doing a lot of estate planning in the 1990s, our exemption equivalent, the amount you could die with and pay no estate tax was all of $600,000. And now it's what? 5.34 million mm-hmm. per spouse. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a big change. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really changed the way people do estate planning. Because um, what year did you start doing estate planning? I think roughly. 06, 05. Okay. Yeah, because... I want to ask you a question about marketing because you're really good at it. So, so you know, before the exemption increased dramatically, living trust used to be done a lot to save estate tax because if you had a couple's worth two or three million dollars, you wanted them each to get their six hundred thousand exemption or their one million dollar exemption. But that drastic increase up to five point three four million basically meant that about ninety eight percent of estates that used to be taxable no longer are because between two spouses, it's like ten point six or ten point seven million dollars. So. If, if living trusts don't really save estate tax like they used to, what what good are they? What do they do that, that's so valuable? 
Well, I mean, the number one thing I think most people recognize is probate avoidance, since that's, uh, you know, takes 14 to 24 months to go through the probate process yeah, on a simple probate. If it's going fast, yeah. Yeah, and it costs about, on average, five times greater to go yeah. through a probate than a trust admin, and it's also open to the public where a trust is private. So that's right. kind of the obvious, but I think the less obvious is there are so many unique things we can do inside of trust to protect the beneficiaries not just from themselves if they're young and immature, but also from creditors, you know, like divorcing spouses, bankruptcy, uh, you know, lawsuits. You know, as well as protecting business assets, right? Which yeah, is exactly. something else you do. You do this thing called asset protection, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And, and what is that in a nutshell? You know, it's, it's a large body of different things. So, you know, you might um, use an entity like an LLC to protect real estate, or if you've got a doctor, a lawyer, a uh, a board director, uh, somebody that's a high net worth individual or uh, or business person that might want to strip off a certain amount of their wealth and put it into a domestic asset protection tr- trust for their own benefit. So they're, they're all different types of asset protection, but, um, you know, it's just a unique body of, of law. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's a neat body of law because when I was in the estate planning business 20, 25 years ago, we didn't really have much asset protection planning going on. But Richard, can we hold that thought right there? Because we're coming up on it. No, I finished the thought, so I don't have to hold it. Well, okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, you could hold it and finish it or whatever, or we can re-explore. But we've got to take a break right now. We'll come back with Brenda Geiger, geigerlawoffice.net, right after this. Hang on. All right, we're back with a little classical gas from Mason Williams, reminiscent of our interview with Dickie Smothers. That was a terrific show, wasn't it, Richard? That was a great show. I think we've been playing that song ever since we did the yeah. Dickie Smothers well, interview. Dickie yeah. Smothers, San Jose State University, where my daughter Demi is now. Go, That's Demi. Right. Go, Spartans. Well, both Smothers brothers went Correct. There. They both went to So they did, did, so they, did Peter Uberoth. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. Well, the Smothers brothers didn't graduate. They got too busy with their comedy career. No, but, but they got uh, honor. They got whatever degree. Oh, you know? I'm sure. They, yeah, they gave. They gave probably them gave doctorates and masters Doc- and everything Doc- by the time. Doctorates of humor <laughs> or something. So. Anyway, it's got, it's also GeigerLawOffice.com and .net. They, those both were G E I G E R. So my. So if you apologies. can't spell calm, you should be able to spell net. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, we're back with Brenda Geiger. Yeah, we, we want to give away some secrets. Everybody listen up. We're giving away free secrets. Well, this is Brenda's latest book, Secrets of Great Estate Planning, right? Just yeah, but they're no longer secret. No. Because not, now, now, now they're in a book. Now you can get their book. Joe, tell everybody where they can get her book, and then we're going to talk about well, some Well, if you go on the website, uh, Brenda and her firm have been kind enough to make her books available to anybody who'd, who'd like one. And you just go on geigerlawoffice.com, and you can uh, get all the contact information right there. I guess you could actually register online, and they'll send one right out. Uh, right, Brenda? Is that the way it works? Yep. Go to the homepage and click on... Which book you want. Outstanding. So. So, so let's talk about the first secret. A lot of people don't really know what probate is. You mentioned it before the break. Can you describe probate briefly and why it's sort of like doing business with the Spanish Inquisition? <laughs> <laughs> In California, yes. In some jurisdictions, it's not so bad. But here, um, basically what happens if there's a will, you know, it gets lodged with the court and probate gets opened up by the person that's nominated as the executor of the will. When somebody dies. When yeah. somebody dies, yeah, and um, then you you wait usually three or four months to get what's called letters testamentary or letters of administration. So you're reporting to the court all of the debts and all of the assets that the decedent had, and basically you know you end up filing an accounting. You have um, a court appointed um, person that'll evaluate the value of all the property, 
And then there are statutory fees that get paid to the attorney and also to whoever's the executor. And, and if you don't have a will, it's still you still can have a probate. It's just that it goes through what we call intestacy. So that's where you just look at the the probate state uh, statute and look at who the next to inherit would mm-hmm. be, and then everybody gets noticed. So it, it's a very long process. Um, there's a, a petition that gets filed at the end. Well, plus the probate court is way backed up now because of funding. Yeah, we don't have um, we don't have our North County estate right. uh, court mm-hmm. anymore, so it's all downtown San Diego. Yeah, they're cutting a lot of the uh, yeah. the legal services down because of uh, reduction in state budgets, right? Yeah. Basically, so the standard rule is you never want to go to probate court in any uh, in any way, yeah. shape, or form. But, right? Avoid it. As, yeah. As, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and it's especially bad, you know, if somebody has minor children mm-hmm. and uh, they don't do any planning, you know, what's going to happen is, you know, the property will get over to the kids, but you're going to have to report, do accountings to the court, whoever's mm-hmm. nominated to, mm-hmm. to be the executor is going to do accountings every year. And then when the child reaches 18, they have full access to those funds. Hmm. Right. So let's talk about another secret. So obviously having a living trust is better than going through probate. And I think a lot of people think, well, I've got a living trust, so I'm covered. But frequently people don't do something with their living trust that they're supposed to do. The word starts with an F. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, the dreaded people, funding. Funding. What is? It sounds fun. What is funding? <laughs> funding is yeah, taking title to real estate and moving it into the trust. Right, so say I own my house, and let's say I'm married, so I, my title says Joe and Susie, husband and wife, is community property. Is that in my trust? No, no. no. And, and often, you know... You know, I can't advise, you know, in every case that it should be in community property mm-hmm. first, but... That was just an example. Yeah, but but it's a good point to bring up, though, because a lot of people don't realize that it's better to vest title as community property first and then move it into the trust mm-hmm. if it's meant to be a community asset. Right, so you if know, Joe and Susie both die in a common plane accident and their title reads that way and they have a living trust, they still go to probate with that house, right? Because they didn't put it... If it's not in the trust. Funding just means putting it in your living trust. Yeah. Think of it as, you know, you've got this nice car. If you don't put any gas in the car, it doesn't go anywhere. So, um, you know, moving bank accounts. Except for probate court. Yeah, except for the probate court. (laughs) And I could see in this day and age when you have blended families that if you don't plan well and one, you know, one parent... you know, yeah. moves on, uh, there can be a lot of conflict. And if it hasn't been a, re- a prearranged uh, prudently with an attorney like yourself, right? I mean, you've probably seen that yeah, happen. Yeah. In fact, those are often the most difficult. to get the difficult. house away from somebody or get yeah. them out of the house or sell it out from under them. So, so you're saying make sure that you title all your assets in the trust. And you do that by doing what? Identifying the names of the trustees and the name of the trust on title? Yes. So, okay. for example, on a piece of real estate, it might be Tom and Susie Jones as trustee of the, the Jones Family sure. Trust and then the date of the trust. But people frequently then do things like, this is another secret, they'll refinance their house and sometimes lenders are picky and they say, well, we don't want the title in the living trust, so take it out and then we'll give you the loan. And then what happens? And they don't put it back in. Right. Yeah. That, in fact, we do. We have a, a client care program and that's what we routinely do is we will pull title on their house and just double check that everything's still invested in trust title. So so one of my criticisms of the estate planning world has always been that attorneys sort of treat clients for the particular thing or transaction they need and, and they don't follow up. You say you have a continuing care program. That really makes you different. Can you explain that more? Because in my mind, that really, really makes you different than 97.83% of other estate planning attorneys. Yeah, so we, you know, for a small fee annually, a client could be a member of our client care program, and they come in and they meet with me once a year at least um, to you know on it to to go over the estate and make sure there isn't any changes that need to occur, 
or that, you know, the vesting of their real estate and things have hasn't changed. Um, and they can also access me, you know, all year long, come in and make any updates or amendments. And then we do a legal directives card, which is a healthcare document banking card. So if they're ever in a medical emergency, uh, medical personnel at the hospital know who to contact right away because that information is right there, mm-hmm. accessible through the yeah, card. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 and that's, I think, the important point. Estate planning isn't a static thing. You do it, the documents are done, you put them on a binder and put it on your shelf. Um, it's an ongoing, continuing process. Yeah, exactly. And, and if you don't treat it that way, you usually wind up making mistakes. It will cost you or your heirs down the road. You, you, you might be dead, so you don't care, but your heirs won't remember you fondly <laughs> if they <laughs> yeah. have to go to probate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway. we got about a minute to the break, so. Oh, okay. Well, um, uh, so, so I want to talk briefly about uh, one of the great secrets of estate planning. Um, it, to me, it's one of the great practical jokes you can play. People seem to be inclined to name their kids, either some of them or all of them as, as trustee. Is that always smart? You know, I try to dissuade people from doing that. You know, even if your kids get along great now, um, it, it can be a big problem. And even if you just put one of them in charge, it, it can be a problem because it, it may cause a war between them. I'm not saying it's always wrong, but, you know, it's just something to consider. Yeah, we tend to favor using what we call private fiduciaries, professionals who serve as trustee, not big, big major institutions, but, you know, individuals and small companies that do this for a living because they're really good at it. They're licensed. They're bonded. Exactly. They know their business. They don't have any prejudices one way or the other um, about any set of children. Um, it, just, it just seems to work, um, I think, a little bit better when you don't put uh, – tell you the greatest practical joke of all time. One of my clients, I was looking at his living trust. He's now deceased. He named his seven kids as co-trustees. I said, oh. Ron, what on earth were you thinking about? Mm-hmm. He goes, oh, Richard, this is my final practical joke on the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like uh, George Foreman naming all his kids George. But, yeah, exactly. uh, anyway, we've got to come up on our break right now, but we'll be, we'll be back with Brenda Geiger and more about estate planning right after New Sports Weather and other announcements. Hang on. All right, we're back with the second half of Richard Money in Your Life, and now time to Rich, for Richard to thank our wonderful sponsors. I knew I was supposed to do something. <laughs> thank you to UBS, Michael Caronta and Drew Friedas. You know, Drew was back at the U.S. Open, and he was hanging out in Billie Jean King Suite with our pal Billie Jean. So he said he had a fun time there, but he was there when the weather was really, really bad. Right across the street from UBS in downtown La Jolla, also on Pros- Prospect Street, Regents Bank, the best business bank in San Diego. Sean Puckett and Steve Sefton. Hey, Sean Puckett, Brenda Geiger, and I actually had lunch at Pacifica Del Mar earlier this week. That was fun. We could actually park in the parking garage now that all the tourists have gone home. (laughs) (laughs) Jason Kroger with Signature Analytics, the best CFO company here in San Diego. I think Jason, the new daddy, is going to be our... Yes, Jason is our guest next week. And hopefully he'll be awake because he just had... Well, his wife had another baby. And I guess he's not getting much sleep at night. Those things happen. But I told him, hey, your life will get back to normal in 30 years. Don't worry. <laughs> Our favorite CPAs on the planet, Plato Epic CPAs, Paul Polito and Don Epic. Hey, Monday, September 15th. That's a big deadline. I think you guys will make it through because you know what you're doing. Joel Grushkin with Cost Segregation Initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. Hey, Joe, that was fun last week at Belmont Park. And Joel is really helping Belmont Park improve their cash flow. With all those improvements, we're getting some real rapid depreciation. Outstanding. But that was a neat charity event. Oh, it was fun. And we got to play with the new equipment. It sort of worked. <laughs> <laughs> Carl Sheeler, Berkeley Research Group, business valuation, risk mitigation, helping business owners understand the risks that drive the values of their businesses and ways to improve 
the value by reducing the risks. Last but not least, Geiger Law Office is Brenda Geiger, estate planning, asset protection planning, and giving away a bunch of secrets, cool stuff. And business planning. And business planning. And Joe, our sponsors are great, and people can find out more about them where and when. I never thought you'd ask. If, you, uh, <laughs> if they just get on their computer, get over to iymoney.com and get their cursor over to our sponsor tab. At the top of the page, you'll see a drop-down menu. All our wonderful sponsors are right there, including Brenda Geiger. And uh, you could find out all their personal information, their contact information, and uh, email, all that good stuff. And they've all been working with Richard for many years with great success, right, Richard? Yes, I'm back to around the late 1980s. There you go. Uh, so That was in a previous millennium. <laughs> <laughs> and it feels like it. All with great success. <laughs> I might add so. Um, so. So, Brenda, let's go. Let's go to more secrets. Retirement plans. A lot of people think, okay, I'll just name my trust as the beneficiary of my retirement plan because my attorney said put everything in my trust. Is that smart? Well, the answer is. I mean, generally. It, generally, it depends. Um, depends. Generally, it depends. <laughs> it depends. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, typical lawyer answer. Yeah. Um, it depends on how your trust is drafted. So um, it could be if you have the right provisions in your trust document. Um, we call them conduit provisions. Mm -hmm. But there may be a better way, especially if you have a large IRA or 401k or several accounts that aggregate to some large yeah, number. Yeah, I want to talk about it because here in San Diego, we see a lot of professionals where they own a house and then they've got a big old retirement account with two or three million bucks in it. Yeah. That, that's basically it. What, what kind of planning do you do for them? So that's that's a no-brainer. Usually that type of client will do additional planning with us uh, through a retirement protector trust. Sometimes you, you hear them referred to as IRA trust or mm -hmm. retirement plan trust. In our office, we call them retirement protector trusts. So this is a way that you can provide some asset protection as well as stretch out for your children and or grandchildren through a trust because you're nominating the trust as the beneficiary, not the actual trust child or grandchild. Right. And by stretch out, you mean you mean stretch out over a longer term of years, the amounts or, or the ability to take income out so you don't have to accelerate and take large distributions. Yeah. So if, if it's a non-spouse that's inheriting, you know, there are some rules through the IRS that an, an IRA can be stretched out based on the beneficiary's life yeah, expectancy. Yeah, because the general rule is you have to base it on the owner of the IRA's life expectancy, speaking yeah. generally. Okay. But when we have... Um, and when that person's know, really old, that doesn't give you very many years. Yeah, exactly. So you'd rather use, um, you know, if we're talking about a child, they're going to be a generation below their sure. parents, so they're going to have a longer term. There's a single life table in the IRS code, right. and you just look up their age and figure out what the divisor is. But they have to start taking those required minimum distributions by December 31st in the year following the original IRA owner's death. Right. So anyway, the, the moral of this story is if you have large retirement account balances, you want to be very precise and careful about your estate planning. Yeah, and we also have a new U.S. Supreme Court case that kind of bolsters why this stuff is so important as well. And what's the name of that case? That is the Clark v. Raymaker case that came out in June this year from the U.S. Supreme Court. And I know a lot of people weren't really happy with that result. Yeah, so it, it basically held that an inherited IRA by somebody that was a non-spouse, so in this case it was a daughter, she inherited her mother's $450,000 IRA, she stretched it, which was a good thing, mm -hmm. but then um, eight years later she filed for bankruptcy. So it, in the end, it, it ran its way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they held that, you know, that was not a protected asset from the bankruptcy creditors, so they it was 
it was something that she had to utilize to pay back her debts. Right. Now, it's sort of a shocking result because we've typically talked about retirement plans as being exempt from creditors, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. So there is some protection for uh, for the original owner, but not for the person that's inheriting. Now, is there any planning that the person inheriting can do? Or, is, or are you saying that case just makes it impossible to do any planning if you happen to inherit a large IRA? So it really should be done by the grantor. So the person, the original, that, person. The original person, yeah, the, right. uh, or I, IRA owner, I should say. So the grantor, I mean, the grantor of a retirement protector trust. So they set this up and they do, they nominate the trust as the beneficiary of the IRA. Or if they have a spouse, they'll list their spouse usually first and list the trust as a contingent. Was, was there anything unique to Raymaker that, um, that may have accepted it? In other words, did she engage in any fraud or deceit, or is that just a standard rule now that you, th- you think? No, and in, in fact, um, basically the court held there were three main reasons why they weren't considering the asset protection to be transferable to her as beneficiary. And uh, here in the case, I've got the case in front of me, the, the first is that the holder of the IRA uh, may may never add additional money to the account. So this woman couldn't add her own funds to it. It was just stuck with what she inherited. And then the second factor was that IRAs um, are requ- that they're required to withdraw the money of the, in the account no matter how far away from retirement they are. So um, you know they had to draw down at least mm-hmm. a very minimum RMD. They couldn't wait till retirement age. Mm-hmm. And then the final was that the holder of the inherited IRA may withdraw the entire balance of the account and use it at any time for any purpose without penalty. So normally we all have to wait until we're fifty nine and a half at least or to pay start a penalty. Yeah, or pay a penalty when she didn't have to. So mm-hmm. that was the court's reasoning. So that no, wasn't really good news. So no, on, way, no way she could offshore then, huh? <laughs> <no>. <laughs> so you you like um, you like holding events at your. Your office. You've got one up coming up on October 2 about this topic, right? Yeah, yeah. We have for um, attorneys, CPAs, financial advisors. Yeah, we, we teach a lot. Our office teaches a lot to other yeah, advisors. Cause it, yeah, because uh, this case was big news and, um, well, whatever. I wasn't surprised by the result because... Well, was it a 6-3 or a 5-4? Was it at least close or don't we know? I mean, you know, I don't remember. Well, maybe I could even look it up yeah, on Wikipedia. Yeah. Okay, anyway. I'll find out. Yeah, so um, anyway, October 2, at your office, what time of the day? Yeah, I think it's at 12.30. Oh, I got your newsletter. I'm going to tell you. I'll tell you when it is. <laughs> Good thing you have me. Okay, Finance Professional, IRA, Trust Educational Event, Tuesday, October 2, 12.30 to 2 at Brenda Geiger's office, Suite 115. That's 2888 Locor Avenue, right? I'm going from memory on that. Locor Avenue East. Yeah, yep. East up in Carlsbad. And... Um, important stuff. So yeah, anyway, the point of this story is if you've got large retirement account balances, you want to do great planning for yourself. You also want to do great planning for your heirs because uh, you don't want that asset going where you didn't never intended it to go, like to somebody's creditors because they made some bad business decisions. Um, Other secrets. What secrets haven't I brought up that you love that are in your book? 25, I mean, not 25, great secrets of estate planning. What have I missed? Um, I think one common one that I often will see is somebody will put their child on title on their house. Oh, yeah. And there's a couple of reasons why that's bad. And uh, I call it the trifecta. People do it because it's easy. Yeah. They think, oh, well, I can just avoid all this estate planning stuff. Estate planning, if it's easy, it's usually bad. What are the three reasons why that's not a good idea? So number one, you've made a gift. And if it's a gift over fourteen thousand dollars to somebody, you're you you really should be filing a seven hundred nine yeah, gift so, tax. So, so unless it's a mobile home in Yuma, it's probably over fourteen thousand if you yeah. put somebody on title for your house. Yeah. Number two is 
now you've opened up your asset to the creditors of that person. Right. So now the creditors of two different people can go after the same asset. And the third is you've given away part of your original basis, whereas if you would have left it to them through a trust, you would have gotten a step up in basis right. for your uh, beneficiary. Yeah. In other words, when somebody dies, the tax cost of assets becomes the fair market value at date of death. But when somebody makes a gift, the tax cost just carries over from whatever the original tax cost was and presumably someday will cause there to be additional capital gains. But yeah, people do that a lot. And um, well, that's why it's important to talk about it in public. <laughs> yeah. Or they put their child on a bank account. So and that, the same same result occurs there. Yeah, too. although you don't have a cost basis there because cash is cash, yeah, but um, exactly. it is a gift. And speaking of cash and gifts, we have to uh, take a little break right now. So can we hold these thoughts, Richard? And I did. I'll give you the rainmaker result when we come back. Yeah, from, I want to know that result from this break. I want to know. Stay that. tuned. We'll be right back. We are back with some good psychology music, the Bob Newhart Show, in honor of our esteemed guest, uh, state planning attorney, who is a psychology major, Brenda Geiger, who's one of our sponsors. Anyway, Richard, let's give him the good news about the haymaker known as Raymaker. <laughs> yeah, that was that was unanimous. It was 9-0. 9-0, the Supreme oh, no. Court. Who said the who said there's who said they can't agree on anything? <laughs> so Sotomayor and all of them agreed. Wow, it's something else. Yeah. So anyway. anyway, retirement accounts and IRAs really important, mm-hmm. really important stuff. So, Brenda, we've we've mentioned a little bit on this concept of asset protection. Um, it goes well to me. It goes pretty much hand in hand with estate planning because if you happen to be a successful business owner, if you happen to own a lot of real estate, um, sometimes you sort of wind up with a target on your chest because people like to go after your money. Talk about asset protection, because I know back when I came up in the business many many years ago, it sort of had a negative connotation, like it was sort of a dirty thing to do. Uh, and we didn't see much of it in the 1990s, but that was before states started putting laws and rules and that allowed people to actually utilize the laws and the rules of those states to really help people who own things. Can you talk a little bit about asset protection and why it's important and how it's evolved over the last 20 years or so? Yeah, so now there are 15 states that allow for what we call self-settled asset protection. And California is not one of them, but that doesn't necessarily prevent somebody in California from setting it up. You would just have to go to a jurisdiction and set the trust up in that jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to use Nevada as an example. Yeah, we see Nevada and Delaware a lot. I'm assuming yeah. you do as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And um, basically, you know, the, the ideal thing to do if you're going to be doing something like this would be doing something in advance of any issue. Right. So you don't ever want to already have a lawsuit lodged or the threat of a lawsuit or some creditor that's coming after you and then go and do it because they're just going to pierce right through that. But if let's say you're a doctor or a lawyer or business person or high net worth individual and you you have assets to protect and you want to carve out some of it to be protected in the event of some catastrophe – you know, you can set up one of these trusts and let the curing period in that jurisdiction, which is, you know, just a tolling of a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, Nevada, for example, is two years. So there's a, a certain period of time that has to lapse before you've got that asset protection. And then there are certain types of exception creditors. Um, Nevada seems to have a pretty good hold on the market because they have very little exception creditors. So they don't like, for example, spouses are not exception creditors in Nevada. So you set this up, you fund the trust. There's usually a distribution trustee um, that has to be in that jurisdiction. So it could be um, a trust company, it might be a law firm, 
a CPA firm, or it could be an individual, private fiduciary. Um, and you can even be, if you're the, the grantor of the trust, you can also be um, a management trustee if you like. So there, there is some flexibility to it. Um, although if, if an issue later re- arises, you may want to resign as management trustee just to add some you know, layer of protection. Yeah, we, we see people, for example, who own very valuable real estate that's not their principal residence. Um, uh, that, that, that's, for example, a good asset class to use this kind of planning with. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sometimes businesses too. Profe- you know, yeah, professionals, doctors, in other words, people who if they make a mistake end up accidentally killing somebody um, can be good good planning. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's an ever-evolving field. As you said, there's 15 states now that have different types of statutes that sort of promote – this kind of planning, which I think is essentially good back um, 15, 20 years ago before these states started getting involved. I think the reason why asset protection didn't necessarily have a good flavor is because the, the states didn't, so to speak, um, allow it. So nobody knew if it worked. <laughs> now we know it works. Yeah, yeah. Which is a big deal. And it's, it's huge negotiating power, too. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. You're just putting up more barriers for a creditor to try to have to climb over, which is expensive. So speaking of LLCs, I know, I know you don't necessarily specialize in business law, but you do some. There was a big change with LLC law here in California at the start of the year that remains a secret to many, many people. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You... It's um, it's the, the old Kilea Act that was the LLC law that came into California, I don't know when, 12 years ago? It expired. Yeah. And we got something new. And and that, that has a huge effect on LLCs that were formed, let's say, 2013 and prior. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was the situation and what is Brenda, it? Brenda, explain it, because this is really interesting to me. Well, I'll explain it. No, Brenda, you explain it. <laughs> you explain it. I'll explain it. Okay, look, so the, when, the, when the act expired, a new act came in to replace it, and basically it had an effect on the management powers of LLCs. So, Which are limited liability companies. Limited liability companies. companies. Everyone and thinks so, it's corporation, but it's company. And so if, if you don't comply with the new act, essentially, you put yourself in a position, if you have old documents, in other words, documents drafted before the law change, of having to get the approval of all limited members of the LLC to conduct business. So, for example, if you want to sell a piece of real estate, get a loan against a piece of real estate, what have you, instead of having a managing member be able to sign off on that, you need to get consent of all members. And, Brenda, have you found that a lot of people don't really know that this law has taken much effect or, or that it has significant consequences? Yeah, yeah. Most of my clients are smaller smaller LLC members, but, yeah, I have a few that that we've had to talk with them about this. Yeah. Because what happens is, is pe- members pass away and then membership interests end up getting spread out to five or six kids and all of a sudden you have an LLC that maybe had two people that now has 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it's under the old law, if it's drafted under the old law and you haven't you know, brought it up to speed, in terms of the new law, well, and then you decide you want to sell something, I mean, you can be a real mess trying to track people down and trying to, you know, 9-0 Supreme Court decision. We'll try to get 15, 15 <laughs> beneficiaries to agree unanimously on something. Good luck to you. <laughs> so have we adequately described the, the new situation now, Richard? Or yeah, what, what people want to do is they want to be very sensitive to obviously drafting LLC agreements under the new law and to the extent that they have LLC agreements under the old law where you have more than, say, one or two members – um, doing the appropriate amendments to the old document so they come into compliance with the new law that became effective one one fourteen. And um, again, a lot of folks don't even know that this happened because it wasn't necessarily publicized. Mm-hmm. And the state of California hasn't even necessarily given good guidance about what to do either, yeah. um, which is sad. But I guess, you know, we don't have a lot of tax dollars floating around on the loose for them to put out a public service announcement. <laughs> 
Hey, Brenda, um, the, the cover of your book, Secrets of Great Estate Planning, it's really cool. Why is the cover of your book so cool? Uh, because it's got my kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. Do your kids have an agent? Are they getting royalties? No. Um, uh, what? <laughs> Hopefully they're not listening tonight. Well, at least give them a plug. That's, that's Leonard, and, Leonard and Taylor, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, of course, on the back covers, the whole family with, with Len Sr., right? Mm-hmm. There we go. So, so you got you got another book coming out soon, right? Or at least you're working on it. Can you can you talk about it in public yet? Yeah, it, it doesn't have a title yet. Um, David Freeze and I, he's a Pennsylvania attorney, mm-hmm. um, very well. I thought, known. I thought he was a third baseman for the Angels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other David Freeze. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're we're writing a, a book on advanced estate planning strategies. So we're about two thirds done. We're Ad- just... Advanced typically relates to very high net worth families. Yeah, and um, you know th- we're going to be talking about retirement plan trusts and um, asset protection. You know, irrevocable trusts. Yeah, all kinds of different okay. advanced uh, uh, strategies. That, uh, not counting the horse book you did in second grade. It'll be book number what for you? Uh, I don't know. Five, like so many five or six. Count. Five or six. Yeah. Yeah, Joe was making a joke that you need a Geiger counter to keep track of all of your no, books. No, I said no. I said or something. If, like I that. said if if Richard, it, your oh, there you go. CPA is your uh, firm's uh, accountant. Would that make him a Geiger counter? There we go. That's no. the joke. <laughs> okay, that's the joke. So Brenda, you know we got this exam. I always put people on the spot with my final question of the night. Exemptions five point three four million. It's indexed for inflation, so it's going to creep up and up. Do you think that's going to stay there? Do you think it's going to get reduced someday? Do you think it's going to just go up and up? Do you think a state tax could go away someday? What do you think? And we've got about a minute. So. We have about a yeah, minute. I've, I've given up trying to guess okay. what, what the president and okay. Congress are going to do. I think it's changed five times since I've been practicing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it'd be nice if it stays. But it would I, be. I'm not going to I'm not going to bet on it. Yeah, I think um, I think if we ever had a Republican president with a Republican House and a Republican Senate, there'd be an outside chance of actually repealing the estate tax. Just because at 5.34 million, there's only about 3,000 taxpayers of the estate tax every year. That is to say, there's only about 3,000 estates over that amount that actually have to pay estate tax. Mm-hmm. Back when the exemption was only $600,000 back in the 1990s, mm-hmm. we would file about 110,000 estate tax returns a year in this country. Okay, we have to... tax paid. So there's some tax trivia uh, for you to finish up with. There we go. Anyway... Brenda, thanks. October 2nd. Thanks for having absolutely. me on the show. We have, to, uh, we have to wrap it right there. Brenda, thanks for being our guest and looking forward to our show next week. Um, look, we want to thank Ribble Kava for being a great sound engineer. And we want to thank uh, Craig Blanking, our account executive, and Dave Sniff, our programming genius here at KFMB. Next week, it's Klaus Reichardt, who will be addressing the drought issue with his products. He's a, a global businessman. And also Jason Kruger of Signature Analytics. Thanks again to Brenda Geiger, estate planning. Get a hold of her. She's up in Vista. Go to GeigerLawOffice.com. Carlsbad. Carlsbad. And Carlsbad. On the border of Vista. There you go. And uh, we'll see you next week, everybody. You stay very cool out there, and we'll see you next week. Good night now.